Hi, and uh, welcome to eTalmud 2.0. We're going to do 9b of Moed Katan, Tesselman Bays today. But we're going to start with 9a, three lines from the bottom, where Rabbi Shem ben Yochai was telling his son um, to, uh, you know, to go in, to go and visit two rabbis that had came to learn in his academy. These rabbis' names were Rabbi Yonasan and Rabbi Yehuda. So Amar Le Lebre, Rabbi Shimon Yochai said to his son, Bnei Adam Halalu Anashim Shaltsurahim. These men, Rabbi Yonasan and Rabbi Yehuda, they're men of great stature. Zdolgabehon de Livarchuch. Go to them so they can bless you. Azalashkechinu de Karamu Kray Ahadade. So he went and he found, so the son went and he found that they were, they were discussing the Torah and they posed a contradiction between two verses as follows. Ksiv, the first verse they looked at is in Proverbs. Pales ma'ga raglecha. yikonu. It says, weigh the course of your feet and all your ways will be established. And the understanding of this verse is that if you have two mitzvot in front of you, and you only can do one of them. You weigh which one you should do before you perform them. And then you do the one that seems to be greater than the other one. Uchsiv, and then um, a different verse tells us, um, also in Mishle, also in Proverbs, it says as follows. Orachayim pentefales. It says, the path of life lest you weigh. So this would seem to imply um, that one should not so the path of life, lest you weigh, you shouldn't be weighing, meaning you shouldn't be weighing in your mind to determine which mitzvah is greater than the other. Rather, you should just do the one that comes up first. So is it weighing in your mind which one is a bit greater, or do you do the first one that uh, that, that came before you? So we answer lokasha. So we answer it's not a question. So where the verse says that you should weigh which one to do, that refers to a mitzvah which can be performed through others. So meaning you have two mitzvahs in front of you. Both of them could be performed through others. Then you do the greater one and leave the less great one for the other one to fulfill. Now we're continuing on to 9b, Testament Whereas here, where the verse says um, to not weigh, but rather do the one that first comes, that's where the mitzvah cannot be performed through others. Right? If you have a mitzvah that can't be performed through others, even if you have a greater mitzvah standing in front of you as well, you go with the mitzvah that can't be performed through others. So you don't weigh one over the other to determine which one is greater. Okay, so, um, and I, apparently Rabbi Shimon's son was standing there, listening to them talking in this uh, about this, and they didn't realize that he was there yet. So they went on and continued to talk about another um, another contradiction in verses. Hadar Yasfu Kamebayaluhu. So further, they were sitting and inquiring. Siv, the verse says, The verse in Proverbs says about the Torah itself, that it's more precious than pearls and all your desires cannot compare to it. The inference being, right? It's your desires that cannot compare to it, but the desires of heaven, God's desires, which are the mitzvot, do compare to it. So that would seem to put the mitzvot and Torah learning on the same level <laughs> but it's also written um also in mishle and proverbs and all desires cannot compare to it which would seem to imply that which implies that even the mitzvot even the desires of heaven do not compare to it putting torah learning at a higher level than doing the mitzvot so how do we resolve this contradiction so we answer 
Here is a mitzvah that can be done by others. Meaning if a mitzvah can be done by others, then it does not compare, then it does not compare to Torah study, and you should stick with your Torah study instead of going to do that mitzvah. Whereas here, the verse that seems to say that it, mitzvahs do compare to Torah study, that's where a mitzvah cannot be performed through others. In that case, you set aside your Torah study to go and do the mitzvah. Now, at that point, Rabbi Yonas and Rabbi Huda seem to realize that Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai is actually waiting for them. Amrule, they said to him, My bias hacha, what are you doing here? Amrlehu, he said to them, To Amrli Abba, my father said to me, Zilka bayo de levarchuch, I should go to them so that they can bless you. Amrule, so they said to him, Yehei Rabba de Tizra velotechzad, may it be the will of God that you sow and not reap. Ta'ayl velo tepok, that you take in and not bring out. Tepok velo ta'ayl, bring out and not take in. Lichrov beisach velesa voshpizach, let your house be destroyed and let your inn be inhabited. Levalbil pisairach, let your table be disturbed. Velo techazi shatachadata, may you not see a new year. So the son of Rabbi Shimon was pretty bothered because this seemed to have all been a bunch of not blessings, but rather curses, right? These are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty serious things that he said to him. So that they said to him, pretty, you know, any, anything but blessings. So he went back to his, um, he went back to his father. Um, and he, uh, so when he went back to Reb Shimon, his father, he said to him, it's not enough that they didn't bless me. They caused me pain. They cursed me. So Reb Shimon said to him, my Amrulach, what did they say to you? He responded, he said, this is what they said to me. And he repeated what they said to him. So Reb Shimon said to him, these are actually all blessings. Tizra Velotachza, when they said, May it be God's will that you sow and not cut and not reap. That man told Banu that you told Banu that you have children Velotimus and they shall not die. Ta'ayo Velotepok, when they said that you should take in and not bring out. This man, Ta'ayo Kalasa, this man that you should take in daughters in law. And your son shall not die, so that the daughter in laws would then leave because they would go back to their, their parents' home. When they said that you should bring out and not take in, that meant that you should have daughters who will go out, who will get married. And their husbands should not die, so they do not have to come back to you. When they said, let your house be destroyed and let your inn be inhabited, what were they saying? They meant that the world is it, like your inn. Um, whereas the next world is your house and they want, we're basically saying, let you live as long as possible in your inn, right? In this world, as the verse says, may have a long life, which said, like it says in the verse in Psalms and Tehillim, literally translate in their imagination, their houses are forever. But don't read it as the word kirbam, which means imagination. Kirbam, rather read it as their graves, which would mean then that um, their graves are houses that last forever. So we see that the word grave is a reference to house. And what this is basically saying, what they were saying to him is let your graves be destroyed, meaning let you stay alive so you don't have to use your graves and stay in your inn for as long as possible. Stay in this world as long as possible. And then when they said, let your table be disturbed, they want you to have a lot of children and so that you always have chaos in your house and that your table is always loud and noisy. 
When they said, may you not see a new year, they meant the lo tamos in the lo tamos in sach, that your wife shall not die, the lo of in so you don't have to marry another wife. And why would they say, so you don't have a new year? What that means is a reference, when you get married, the first year is your shana rishona, your first year is a very specific type of year. It's like your honeymoon year. And what he was, what the blessing was, is that may you not have another new honeymoon year. Okay. And now we're going to talk about another instance where a blessing was received, was given over in a more veiled manner. Rabbi Shem ben Chalafta, Iftar Mionei Rav, Rabbi Shem ben Chalafta was taking leave of Rav. Amar Lelivrei, and Rav said to his son, Go to him so that he will bless you. Go to him so that he will bless you. Amar Lelivrei said to him, Um... So what did Rav Shimon, What was Rav Shimon's blessing? May be the will of God that you do not embarrass others, and that you not be embarrassed by others. So he came back to his father. His father said to him, "My What did he say? He answered. He answered. So Rav's son answered to him, He just sent me like ordinary words, like just words, nothing that's a real blessing. His father said to him, what are you talking about? He blessed you with the blessing that the Holy One, blessed is He, blessed Israel, and repeated it. Dixiv, as the verse says, this is the verse in Yoel and Joel. It says, You will eat, eating and be satisfied, and you will praise. And then it continues to say, People will not be shamed forever. That you will know that in the midst of Israel am I. People will not be shamed evermore. So if anything, he gave you a blessing that God blessed the Jewish people with twice. That's how special the blessing is. Okay, now we're going to analyze our Mishnah. So we said, V'oysa and a woman may make her adornments during Chalamoid. Tanurabanan. The rabbis taught Elohim um, Tachshite Nashim. These are included in the list of adornments. Kocheles, she paints her eyes. Pokeses, she parts her hair. Mavira, Sraka Panel, she applies rouge on her face. Vikad Amrin, some say Maveras Sakin or Srak Al Paneha Shalmata. She. She passes a razor over her lower face and, oh, in other words, her um, all over her body, including her um, her pubic hair. All of that would be considered adorning yourself. That would be allowed during Chol Hamoid. The visitor of Chista Makash Bampe Kalas is a very interesting little story. The life of Rav Chista, who was already older, was adorning herself in front of her daughter-in-law. Yasser Rav Huna Bar Chinnah Rav Chista, and at the same time, Rav Huna Bar Chinnah was sitting before Rav Chista. Yasser the Kamar. And he said, while they were seated, he said, I thought that only a younger woman was allowed to make her adornments during Chol HaMoed. But not an, elderly, an older woman, which your wife is. How could your wife made adorn herself during Chol HaMoed then? Right? You're only allowed to do it if, in fact, it's a source of joy during Chol HaMoed. And an older woman, they, you know, the point was here is that an older woman doesn't really care as much. To which Rav Chista answered, Amar leh, Rav Chista answered, Ha Elohim, by God, even your mother, even your mother's mother, even a woman who's standing on her grave, they all can apply makeup during Chalamoy because it brings them all joy. 
as people say, A 60-year-old woman is like a 6-year-old woman in that they run to the sound of the wedding bells, meaning a 6-year-old and a 60-year-old woman, they get just as excited about a wedding and so too about adorning themselves. It's important to, to, to all women. Um, okay, the next part of our Mishra Behuda Omer Lo Tasud. Okay, so now we're going to get some um, some insight into ancient um, into ancient hygienic and adorning practices. Behuda said that she's not allowed to put lime on her skin because when you put it on your skin, it hurts, and even though and um, and it's it's it hurts a lot, and it also in the in that moment it makes your skin not look good, and it's only when you peel it off that it, it's good, but in the moment it's not good. Tanya learned in a bride, Sir Huda, Huda says, Isha lo tasud mitneisha nivelhula. A woman's not allowed to apply lime to her skin on chalamoy because it is a disfigurement to her. Because while it's on her, it's both uncomfortable and it doesn't look good. But Rabbi Huda does agree that when it comes to lime that could be peeled during chalamoy, that she could apply it during chalamoy. Because even though it distresses her now, it will cause her joy at a future time when it is removed. And because that joy will come during the festival, she's allowed to do it. But wait a minute, does Rabbi Rehuda really agree with this idea that if something causes joy later, we don't look at the distress that happens now? But didn't we learn in a Mishnah? Um, didn't we learn in a Mishnah? This Mishnah is talking about, by the way, how... For three days before the festival of idolaters, you're not allowed to transact business with them. You're not allowed to lend to them. You're not allowed to borrow from them. You're not allowed to repay a debt to them. You're not allowed to allow them to repay a debt to you. And the reason is is because that would then be a cause for the idolaters to to thank their idols. Um, and you cannot be the cause of that. Um, okay. So now let's look at the Mishnah. Vahatana, do we learn in a Mishnah? Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda says... You are allowed to accept repayment of a loan from an idolater on the holiday, on his holiday, because this causes him distress, because he's losing money. They said to Wait a minute, even though it causes him distress now, he rejoices about it afterwards. So you should not be allowed to accept repayment. So what do we see, though? We see Rebihuda feels that the joy that one may feel later on does not discount or nullify the distress that one feels now. So how could it be who to allow lying, even though you will peel it before during the festival, which will cause joy, that still would not discount the distress you feel when you first put it on, and therefore it should not be allowed according to Rabbi So two answers. said, Set aside the laws of Cholamoid. Because all of the things that we allow in Cholamoid, they're all this type of thing that caused distress now, but will cause the one to rejoice later on during the festival. So this obviously Cholamoid has a different category for what's allowed and what isn't when it comes to joy. And we see from other, many other things with Cholamoid. So for instance, cooking right now, it's distressful, right? It's, it's, it's hard. You're in a hot kitchen. It's a lot of work, but the joy that comes from it, we we allow you to do it because of the joy that comes from it for the festival. And so too, with anything, when it comes to Cholamoid, it's an exception to the rule. And we allow anything that will have joy later to basically discount the distress you'd experience now for Cholamoid purposes. Ravina said, Ravina Omar, Ravina says the answer to the question is, is Kusil Inyan Pura Onla Ola Meitzer. Rabbi Huda feels that when it comes to a Kuthian, an idolater, 
When it comes to repayment, they're always distressed. They never feel joy later. <laughs> the fact that they no longer have debts, and it seems the reason is, is because they're always they were always hoping that they would be able to get out of the payment of it in an illegal fashion, and now that that now that becomes impossible once they pay back the debt. Okay, now that we're talking about applying lime to remove hair, we're going to continue talking about this. Amr of Yehuda, Yehuda said, this is, a, this is going to be a window into hygienic practices of the Jews in uh, 2,000 years ago. If you have young girls um, who have begun puberty, but really aren't at the age when it is, you know, the average age of puberty, they're before early, so it's very, you know, they're very early, and therefore they're embarrassed by any hairs that may have, you know, any hair that may have sprouted. Um, poor people would plaster these unwanted hairs with lime to get the hair off. Wealthy people would plaster them with fine flour. And the daughters of royalty with oil of mar. Shenemar, as the verse says, when it came to Queen Esther, and though the um, in the story of Purim in the Megillah, in the story of Purim in the Megillah, in the story of Purim in the Megillah, um, it says that the women, as they waited their turn to, with the king Achashverosh, they would have six months with the oil of mar. My Shemin Hamor, what exactly is oil of mar? Rav Huna Varchia Omar Sitakas, it's Sitakas. Sitakas is olive of oils that have not attained a third of their ripeness. Tiny, we learned in a bright serve. Yehuda Omer Yehuda says, Anpinkon Shemen Zayishol Hevishlish. Anpinkon is actually oil of olives that had not attained one third of their ripeness. And Sitakas is something else. Okay. Um, all right. So now we're going to go back to these girls that, that use these different forms of hair removal. Now, why do people anoint themselves with um, oil of more? So the Gemara answers, Because they remove hair and cause the skin to glow. Now we're going to talk a little bit about lime. Rabibi had a daughter, Tafla Ever Ever. He smeared her limb by limb. So one limb at a time with just a little bit of lime each time. She, she, he, had her, he smeared her limb by limb with, with, uh, with this type of lime. And her skin was so radiant that her there were so many different suitors lined up, and she was able to get a dowry of 400 zoos. It's a lot of money. There was a certain Kuthian in the neighborhood, the Havale Brasa, who had a daughter. He saw how successful Rabibi's daughter was at getting a great suitor. But he applied the lime all at once. Umesa and she died because of the pain. Lime a teeny bit at a time is good. You know, that, that doesn't hurt too much and it, the, 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 the effects are great, but too much lime all at once, it's, a, it's too painful. Omar, so the Kuthian said, Katla bibi livrati, Rabbibi killed my daughter because I learned the treatment from him. Omar Nachman Rachman said, this is very interesting, Rabbibi de Shasi Shikha, Rabbibi, they drink beer in his household. Bayan Benase Tifla, so his daughter requires lime in order to get her skin to glow. Because of the the beer has that negative impact on skin. But for me, we don't drink beer in our house. Our daughters don't require this lime to enhance their appearance. Okay, we will stop here. Have a wonderful day.